You know, when I'm tired and I simply want to veg, I often turn on the TV. I wish I didn't do that. It's a precious waste. It's a waste of precious time. And while I'm confessing when I'm really tired, I sit in my recliner and end up watching reruns of Law and Order. And I have no idea why, because again, it's a total waste of time. Hollywood crime shows are so contrived. Besides, in the real world, what crime is solved in one hour minus commercials? Makes me feel sorry for real detectives who deal with that kind of expectation because of Law and Order. The detectives on Law and Order are familiar as you can watch reruns any day of the week, practically at any hour. In total, there are over 1,200 episodes of Law and Order, including within the nine spin-offs of the show that have come and gone, but there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to Law and Order. The current shows seem to be desperate for new ideas. Sometimes they're outrageously politically correct. And if it's not Law and Order, there are dozens of other crime shows, one more dark and violent than the next. Have you ever pondered why? Why do we look at these things? I mean, isn't real life tragic and sad enough at times? Do these shows numb us to the real tragedy of crime and violence in our streets because it's so often found in our entertainment? Sadly, these stories often parallel the crimes that occur day after day, year after year in our country, and it doesn't stop because it's Christmas where we find uh, disparate emotions in life. That is, while many are celebrating and happy and joy-filled, many are feeling just the opposite. That is sad and lonely. I read a few days ago that someone angrily burned down a large Christmas tree in New York in a New York plaza, and they asked him why, and he said, just because. I was thinking about it all day. Just because. Clearly, the most joy-filled time of the year is often the loneliness and the despairing for others. Suicide rate is at its highest at Christmas, for example, which should elicit charity and concern on our parts for the least among us, people that we know that struggle with depression, anxiety, and sadness. You know, the first three people who celebrated Christmas didn't have it very easy either. The Holy Family experienced poverty, at least temporary homelessness, no medica- medical care, threats of violence and death, and the life of refugees in a foreign land. Yet curiously, St. Paul tells us today to rejoice, to rejoice always. But when we hear that, when our circumstances aren't great, we think, how can I rejoice always when I'm stressed out at work, for example, or facing rising inflation in this country, when I'm sick, when my marriage isn't working, when my children aren't getting good grades in school, or the country seems to be in turmoil, or when I see my neighbor or someone I love who is truly suffering? What is there to be joyful about all the time? St. Paul, Paul's call might sound a little tone-deaf today, But he isn't calling us to some Pollyanna approach that ignores the harsh, hard, and unpleasant realities of life. Just do a brief study of his life, and compared to him, we have it easy. So what made life bearable for him? What allowed him to rejoice always in spite of everything? There's a clue today when he says, have no anxiety at all but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. St. Paul was many things, 
an apostle, a missionary, a preacher. But above all, he was a man of faith and a man of deep prayer. He had a union and communication with God. And when you have that, you have everything and you lack nothing. Faith can move mountains, often mountains of difficulties, troubles, and despair. Prayer can work wonders. Conversely, without prayer, you can't know God. And you can't know someone when you don't talk to them. In the Old Testament, we hear about shalom, a peace that isn't predicated on the ease of our lives. Rather, it focuses on God's benevolence and presence in our lives that gives us peace even in the trials and difficulties of life, which we all have. I heard a story recently about a monk and a novice who were sitting beside a swiftly running river, and the swift current caught their attention as they talked. And the novice turned to the old monk and said, Father, teach me to pray. I can't seem to find prayer within me, and I long to commune with God. And the old monk took the novice's head in his hands And then shockingly, he dipped him in the water for a few seconds. And when he released the young man's head, he came up gasping and coughing and sputtering with words of accusation and anger. And then the old monk said, when you long to commune with God with the same desire and passion as the breath of air that you want, then you'll know God and you will have his peace. It's a simple longing that we have made complicated One of the greatest obstacles to union with God is that we are too complicated. We wait for a particular stage of life before we open ourselves to God. We put off praying, waiting for when we aren't busy or stressed out, or maybe we're waiting until we're older and wiser. But the urgency of having your head under water brings a certain focus, which is probably why God allows suffering and trials in our lives. And when we come up for air and desperation, that's when we know how to pray. And in that sense of urgency, we open ourselves widely to God, and he is there for us, which is the theme of the Advent season. St. Paul could tell us to rejoice because he told the Romans that with God on our side, who can be against us? Nothing, therefore, can come between us and the love of Christ, even if we're troubled or suffering or if we've been persecuted, or lacking food or clothing, or being threatened or even attacked. These are the trials through which we triumph by the power of him who loves us. And he continues, For I am certain of this, neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor prince, nothing that exists, nothing still to come, nor any power or height or depth, nor any created thing can ever come between us in the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus our Lord. With faith like that, my brothers and sisters, St. Paul could rejoice always. And with faith like that, so can we. After the prayerful contemplation to which God calls us, one of the questions that we need to ask in prayer is mentioned three times in our gospel today. That is, people came to St. John the Baptist and asked a simple question, What should we do? What should I do? What must I do to be a better disciple of the Lord? Asking that question may call us to something radical in life. I know young people, for example, who enter into marriage when it is very countercultural today. 
Those who are asking that question as they prepare to discern for seminary formation or religious life. Braden Eckert here in the first row is going to be received into the church after prayer, study, and discernment. Yes, sometimes Jesus' call is radical. And other times God calls us to bloom where we're planted. Notice that John doesn't demand the tax collector to leave his post in our gospel today. Rather, he encourages him to be ethical and fair. And to the soldier, he says the same. And to others, he calls them to simplicity by parting with their surplus coats and food. So rejoice always, even and most especially when you suffer and are burdened by life, because we have a God who loves us. Perhaps this evening you can reach out to someone who is suffering or lonely and simply be present to them and rejoice with with them in their lives. Remind them that God never leaves us to face the perils of life alone. Remind them most especially that when we feel lost and in the shadow of death, that God is with us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.